What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human beings too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how many years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual combo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. We are so grateful that you're here. So if you enjoy this podcast and want to connect further, we invite you to follow along on Instagram at what the actual fork pod and subscribe, rate and review our podcast so we can continue to share this message with more and more people. Now let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of the what the actual fork podcast. Jenna, I heard you got into it with a doctor, so I'm just, I'm ready to hear all about this. You know, I'm not going to share any like actual details about like what this was for and the, just out of respect for the group um, that I was speaking with. But yeah, yesterday I was asked my opinion uh, as a registered dietitian with a physician in a Zoom room where you could see faces um, about Ozempic and its recommendations for patients. And being respectful, being a dietitian who understands science and nuance, I came at it with my answer from that perspective, and he did not. (laughs) And, you know, I shared that I think the most important thing is that we are being super clear that this medication is life-changing, that we are being super clear that you need to have a multidisciplinary team that you trust to go over what you believe the potential benefits are and what the side effects and negatives are of making this decision. And if that feels right for you, then who am I to judge? And he was like, well, I don't think you under like, just like this. BDE of, you know, let me change your mind. And I, I didn't back down, but like, so proud of you. We're going to do a presentation together. And he was like, what if this comes up? And I was like, I'll let you answer it. And if somebody wants my opinion, I will give it. Oh, like, Um, what's wrong with having two different opinions? (laughs) He made a comment. You're going to love this. That, you know, if we want to like go head to head on it, like I'm not going to lose. And I was like, I'm sure you won't. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I understand you're keeping this confidential for respect yes. purposes, but I would love to hear the off air version of this story as well. Cause I feel well, like I came, into the, be I came into the kitchen afterwards and Matt was in there, my husband. And I was like, yeah, I got into it with a doc today. And actually my, I was talking to my dad about it for, with my dad about it first. And I was like, I got in a fight with a man who's your age. He was like, oh, fuck. Here <laughs> we he go. Knows. And he was like, well, what happened? And I was even telling him the story. And he was like, well, good for you for like speaking up and like providing a different opinion. And I think there's an article that came out yesterday that my brother actually sent me by Gia. I don't want to mess up her name, but Gia Tolentino. If you haven't read this article, Sam, I you saw you to. shared it last night. And it was like, I think I was like scrolling at like 9 p.m. watching all your stories. And I, I texted it to myself because I was like, I know I need to read this, but I haven't sat down to it read it It is yet. 
absolutely incredible. You can actually listen to the story. It's 32 minutes because it's on the New Yorker. Um, and you, it has the ability to listen to it as well. It's called Will the Ozempic Era Change How We Think About Being Fat and Being Thin? And what I love about this article is it's very long. It's incredibly thorough. It gives every single side of the argument and the discussion. But what she talks about in this that I think is just fucking fascinating that even my husband, who's like, doesn't know anything about Ozempic at all, was like, what the fuck, is how she went on as like a test to this like random website of this like telehealth company where she was able to input her height and weight that she did not, she wasn't truthful about um, her name, her address, et cetera. And she said in the article, something along the lines of like, I thought I was going to be called out when I got face to face on a zoom call that like, that wasn't my actual weight, but I, I put it in for like, you know, for part of the discussion to make her BMI, whatever number it needed to be to be quote unquote qualified. And without a face-to-face Zoom call, a telehealth quote-unquote professional emails her back congratulating her that she meets the criteria for this life-changing quote-unquote medication that is now being shipped to her door for a fee of $150 for this consultation, which is the email exchange um, or the text exchange on this portal um, and $250 a month because it's compounded from a pharmacy. Like it's not name brand, it's off label. Um, and oh with instructions God. on how to mix it yourself at home. Like that is what's happening out there is like, it's becoming a trend where you can now purchase life-changing medication off a random website for a fee. It's shipped to your door and you just start injecting yourself without knowing anything. I'm like, mm. that's what I have a problem with. <laughs> like, I don't know about you, that but like so, that's I, where I draw the line. Such wonderful <laughs> t- storytelling, truly. And I was just giggling in my head while I was listening to you of how many times you and I say quote unquote or heavy oh. air quotes <laughs> on this podcast. If we could be sponsored by air quotes, I don't know if like air quotes is a thing. Like obviously it's not. We would have all oh. the money in the world. Mm. Mm. like makes my throat dry because it just gets me like every when I think about like passion like I think about all my energy going to like one spot and like it's going to my voice right now um but yeah I mean the article is incredible it has just so many details on it and she essentially just leaves you with like the decision is yours these are the flaws that I see let's share it in the show notes so let's make sure this gets linked and what a, what a perfect segue into today's conversation where we're talking to registered dietitian Anna Lutz, who specifically, like her entire practice is about eating disorders, right? Supporting people with eating disorders, specifically children and, and parents. And so thinking about this whole Ozempic era and how many parents are going to be taking this medication. Mm-hmm. And the impact it's going to have on their child's relationship with food. I could like cry thinking about it, but Anna's conversation was just amazing today. So we had again, Anna Lutz, who is a registered dietitian in Raleigh, North Carolina. We had Elizabeth Davenport on a few weeks back, who is another anti-diet RD and and her partner and their co-creators of Sunny Side Up Nutrition, which is a blog and podcast that focuses on nutrition, cooking, family feeding, all free of diet culture. 
Anna is also the co-owner of a private practice in Raleigh, North Carolina, Lutz Alexander and Associates Nutrition Therapy. Anna specializes in eating disorders and pediatric family nutrition and enjoys mentoring and providing clinical supervision to other dietitians, which is incredible. And she gives some really amazing nuggets on the insight of taking care of you when you're also taking care of someone with an eating disorder. Um, in addition to where diet culture shows up in our world and how to protect our babies and ourselves. <laughs> yes. And I loved Anna also looping in her lived experience. I believe she mm. said her children are seven, 13 and a half and 16. Yes. And so to she's obviously been through many more stages of motherhood that you and I have on the horizon. So to be able to hear not only her dietitian experience, but her lived experience and how that plays in, I think is just so invaluable. So let's get into it with Anna. For anybody out there who can relate to this, I want to hear your personal stories too. But I've decided in my mid thirties that there is nothing better than the feeling of being able to clean a pan smoothly after you're done cooking. Like I've used cookware in the past where like no matter how many times I clean it, it never gets that like smooth brand new sparkle to it. Um, And recently I've switched over to green pan and the ease of the cleanup has changed cooking for me. That is just, I'm going to leave it there. Well, I love that for you. <laughs> and how convenient because this podcast is sponsored by Green Pan. And one thing I love about them, the 60-day return policy. So our listeners can try out Green Pan, make sure it's right for them. If it's not, you send it back, no questions asked. In addition to the pots and the pans and the cookware collections, they also carry kitchen appliances like slow cookers and waffle makers, which we talk about a lot on this page, how much we <laughs> love waffles and slow cookers and all of the things. And this week just happens to be my husband's birthday. And guess what? Your girl got Luke for his birthday, the 16 piece set from Green Pan. I kid you not, because I've mentioned it many times on the podcast that he is the chef in our family and his birthday was on Monday. Podcast is out today. So I can share publicly. He's enjoying his 16 piece pan set from Green Pan. Happy birthday, Luke. (laughs) So if anybody else would like to give Green Pan a try, head on over to greenpan.us and use promo code FORK. You'll receive 30% off your entire order plus free shipping on orders over $99. You heard me right. That's 30% off. Whether you buy one pan or the whole birthday set for Luke, that's 30% (laughs) off. So head to greenpan.us and make sure you use promo code FORK to get that discount. All right, Anna. So in true what the actual fork podcast fashion, we have to start out this episode asking you, what is your most recent, maybe it's a conversation you had with someone, maybe it's a piece of social media, you know, that you saw or an interview or a commercial or something that just stopped you in your tracks and said, what the actual fork is this? Something related to diet, culture, wellness, food, anything that comes to mind for you. Well, of course, I want to talk about the AP guidelines. I'm going to hold myself back since we've covered that or you've covered that in your episode. So I really have been thinking um, and really what came to mind is the most recent thing is I have a seven-year-old who's um, in first grade and there is this book that's in there. 
their English curriculum for children to read in our county. And it's called Wants and Needs Food and Drink. And it is um, a book that's on the reading level of a kindergartner that lays out what a want is and what a need is, but they apply it to food and drink. So I have this wonderful child that comes home who I think her favorite food is anything chocolate. And this book has decided for everyone that chocolate is um, a need, excuse me, excuse me, a want, not a need, right? And that hamburgers are a want, not a need, but somehow a salad is um, a need. And they've taken this very, um, this concept of wants and needs of what a human being really needs to survive and they've applied it in this very inaccurate, um, developmentally inappropriate way. Um, and it just is so infuriating to me. And so that's my answer to, to your question. That I think that brings up like this huge, amazing topic. Thank you for sharing that of like how problematic curriculums can be. And it's actually, I'm part of the Find Food Freedom, apparently, community on Facebook. And it came up on my Facebook feed, I think yesterday, the day before, one of your community members, Sam, posted pictures of like this. um, She said, and I don't want to misquote it, but what I saw, what I gathered was it was a book that was American Girl Doll, maybe, about talking about like food and nutrition. Um, And in it, it had like all sorts of diet talk along with like other very positive things that like her daughter was reading and like taking to heart. And it was like, what the fuck do I do? She didn't say that. But like in the post, it was like, what do I do? I also had an experience where a mom messaged me like, this is what my daughter was sent home with. And it was like a reading exercise or a math exercise about so-and-so is thin because she does this. So-and-so is fat because she does this, you know, and like find the problem with the sentence. Like people are, we found the problem. Like, <laughs> it's not we why you at home, but we found the problem. It's, yeah. it's so true. It's, I mean, diet culture is everywhere. And like you're pointing out, it's not just in, um, health class that's in English class and social studies class and math class. And- yeah, math class with the calories. Exactly. So I feel like I never knew that exists. And maybe I'm just naive. I don't know. Like, I don't have a kid in school yet. And I'm sure it is going to be incredibly problematic when it comes home with my child one day. But like, I don't feel like I even knew that like that was a place I needed to fear. <laughs> like- Yes. And I, so I know we have so much we want to get to, but I would love to hear from you, Anna, also because we know about some amazing resources that you have, but how do you handle that situation? Yeah. I I mean, so first of all, I have to say, um, my first grader is the youngest of three. So how I reacted when my oldest, who's now 16, um, came home with something like this, I've chilled out a little bit because I've learned I had, I have to pick, pick my battles or I'm going to always be battling. And that's not, not helpful to anyone, but this felt to me, this book is just so off and it's giving, it's just so inaccurate. I decided it was worth my time and energy um, to make a, I emailed the teacher first and I just said, you know, can you tell me about this book? And she said, well, it's in our County curriculum in the social studies unit. And so then um, I actually did call down to the County um, person who's in charge of the curriculum and explain my concern. 
And I just said, you know, I, I'm thinking about the child who eats hamburgers for lunch because that's what school's serving. And then their parent goes and buys them a hamburger because they're in between two jobs and that's what is affordable. And what are we sending um, children? What messages are we sending children that we're then saying this is not what they need when it is absolute food is we need food. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to change anything, but I felt like I needed to go on record explaining that. But there's sometimes that a dieting message will come home and we more just have a conversation at home of, wow, we really, we really see things differently than other people. Um, how did that make you feel, you know, um, you know, did you say anything? Did you not? We just more have a conversation at home. Um, because for young children, it's confusing because they really trust their teachers. Right. And if the teacher's saying a message that's so different from home, it can start, it can start to be confusing for them. Oh, thank you for saying that. And it, and I feel like Jenna and I can relate because we only have one child. So it's all the first where we're like, where are our pitchforks? Like, you know, but I love how I love that you use the words like, is it worth my time and energy? And we had Evelyn Triboli on this podcast many moons ago, which we need to get her back on, but right. of just, you know, are, is the person reachable and teachable? Is it worth your mental energy? And I think that's a beautiful follow-up is, can I just have that conversation with my child in the comfort of our own home? And that can be enough in this instance. And it it obviously is dependent on the situation, on the curriculum, on the book, the homework assignment, et cetera. On your own energy. Exactly. Whatever you have going, like there's things other than those homework assignments that you're obviously dealing with as a human and a parent. So my older child, um, um, had to keep a food record for her health class and she knew that was problematic just because of what she's had to grow up with hearing from her mother and so we just decided together how she wanted to handle it and um she didn't want to she didn't want me to have her opt out of it um she decided how she was going to handle it and so again every child's different every situation's different you know what's crazy is like I mean it's even in nursery rhymes because I, there's this, I think it's called Johnny, Johnny, yes, Papa is like the nursery rhyme from like the old days. And there's an episode of Coco Melon. I know Sam's not, Sienna's not a Coco Melon girl, so she's, she's saved from this. But, you know, my son loves Coco Melon. And like this episode, I always, I hear that his babysitter say like, mommy doesn't like this episode. <laughs> like, we'll go to the next one. But it's like, it's literally, um, they have the parents. It's the a parent version, and it's like the dad's eating pizza in private, and like the mommy's like, "What are you doing?" And then it's like she sneaks out of bed to like get candy from like a hidden jar, and he's like, "I caught you!" Like shaking his finger. And I actually saw another dietitian like kind of like break this down the other day, and it was like, "What are the subliminal messages in this toddler video?" And it's like if you're familiar with Coco Melon. Their kitchen has like fruits and vegetables with happy faces all around the kitchen. And like the whole kitchen is like this happy, bright colors, fruits and vegetables. And now we have this episode with cookies and cakes and pies and whatever that are bad, that need to be snuck, that there's shame and guilt and we're lying about consuming them. So at age 18 months, two, when these kids start watching this episode and like they're such sponges, like that's the message that's subliminally happening. Like these are good. These are bad. And like, 
I like every time I see it, I'm like next, but you know, I can't protect him from everything that's on YouTube. It's so scary. Yeah. It is Mm. everywhere. It's, it's, it's just shocking how it is everywhere, but, but I, I do really believe at the end of the day, it's the messages they hear day in and day out. It's the modeling from their parents and their caregivers. And so I, I have to choose to put my energy there. Or like I said earlier, I would feel like I'm always arguing with everyone. Yes. Um, And what a way to lead to burnout and just pure, like pulling your hair out every day. So would love to kind of follow down that path of not only understanding what is an eating disorder versus disordered eating, but we were kind of just speaking about how you said creating this safe environment at home, how important that is. So if you could please touch on what is an eating disorder, what is disordered eating, what are the differences, and are some people more prone to developing an eating disorder? So, you know, if we were to talk scientifically or, you know, factually, eating disorders have um, pretty strict diagnostic criteria, as you both know, that are defined in the DSM-5. And so there's very kind of strict rules that um, therapists and psychologists and physicians use to diagnose an eating disorder. Um, Disordered eating might be might fall into more of this gray area of um, maybe maybe that that criteria isn't met, but there is some behaviors that we wouldn't fall into the category of typical eating. Personally, at the end of the day, the way I think about it is, is this person's eating interfering negatively in their life? Whether that's a child, it's interfering with their growth and development or their social emotional health. Um, you know, you know, what, what is going on that with their eating and is it, you know, is it problematic for them in some way? And I feel like that's really what's important at the end of the day, because these boxes that we've created, these diagnostic criteria are these boxes and some people fit in and some people don't, and they're really made for research purposes. So if I have a parent that's calling me and saying, I'm really concerned about my child, do they have an eating disorder or not? It's, it's more we're listening for, um, is it affecting their life and their well-being? And is it something that, um, that working on it would, would make their life better? So uh, what are y'all's thoughts on that? Would, is that kind of your thoughts on it too? Or I absolutely agree with you. And I love that you kind of took it away from the air quote science diagnostic way because for example we had Sharon Maxwell on the podcast a few weeks ago (laughs) Jenna and I reading each other's minds and like we talked about how like fat people can have eating disorders too and this whole idea of atypical anorexia heavy air quotes with atypical because it can actually be more typical for those in larger bodies to have eating disorder and so when we look at the criteria and the boxes and the stereotypes I think it it can just make people feel like, oh, well, I'm not sick enough when, so I love that you brought that up. And I always, I'm sorry, go ahead, Anna. I'm just thinking like two, and there might be two people that eat the same way. And for one person, it's super problematic and interferes with their life. And for this other person, it's not, and I'm not going to make the decision for them. You know, um, I always cringe when people ask, like if I have like an anonymous box or like, um, like a question box on 
Instagram, I will always get that question or like some version of that question. Like what's the difference between disordered eating and eating disorder? And I, I struggle to answer it because I, I personally believe, and I have this whole TikTok on it from eating disorder awareness week where it's like, I'm saying all of the things from like the resources that are available online, but like, it all sounds the same, (laughs) right? Like the line is very blurry and like you just said, which I think is such an amazing point to call back out. Like for some people, that behavior is normalized or normal or okay for them or health promoting even. And for somebody else, it's completely disordered. And I think it makes me think about like my own personal experience where like my exercise addiction was normalized when I was an athlete in high school, right? And then it became an eating disorder. But for somebody else, they're not seeing it that way. And I think, oh, this conversation, like we could go into this hole so deep because (laughs) I think it's really confusing and people are kind of in the dark on it because it's not, we leave it up to the doctors to diagnose, right? Right. Which is a bummer. Yes. (laughs) Because a lot of them aren't even eating disorder (laughs) informed. They're like, oh, you just have to be a thin, emaciated human. That's an eating disorder. Right. Like the movies show. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And I think at the end of the day, my answer to that question is it doesn't matter. <laughs> if if your eating or exercise is, is bothering you, or if there's a parent who's really worried about their child, let's figure out what's going on. That's all. That's what matters. Um, not do, do you fit into this box or not? I think the thing that's really shitty is like the care aspect from like the lack of a diagnosis. And I, I, I struggle with that so much. And I'm sure as two other dietitians um, in this room, um, (laughs) I wish we were all in the same room. Like that's where it gets, it gets really hard and it gets, it becomes a conversation that is, again, it's super nuanced and there's this blurry line between like access to care. Um, and so when this episode comes out, our episode with um, Sharon Maxwell will already have come out, which it is out already. And she gives so many amazing resources for people who are thinking that they may, you know, need a little extra help that are not being recommend that don't have the care from doctors, et cetera, that they need. Um, and those resources are so, so, so helpful. That's so important. That's so important because um, I think you're just highlighting that how these very strict diagnoses is harmful to people. Because then like like you were saying earlier, it's not people don't feel like they're, quote, sick enough. Um, so, yeah, it's really important to highlight those resources. Absolutely. So you had mentioned earlier, which we loved, how, you know, you were saying kids can really trust their teachers, right? So these messages that they're hearing at school coming from an adult who they really trust and they look up to have a direct impact on them. We know that the home environment has a huge impact. So I would love to hear when, if you could just kind of summarize what you know through research and and lived experience, what are some things that do increase the risk of eating disorder in children some that are obviously environmental, but also just if there's genetic factors, you can touch on just anything that increases the risk of eating disorder. Yeah, I think it's really important to highlight that it's there's it's complicated and there are so many risk factors. And so we know genetics is a big one. Um, so having a first or second degree relative with an eating disorder or substance use disorder 
greatly increases someone's risk of having an eating disorder. Um, experiencing trauma, um, any kind of trauma greatly increases someone's risk. Um, temperament, so, you know, just the temperament that someone is born with. And so someone who's more perfectionistic, um, there's, a, there's that increased risk. Um, being exposed to media um, or the thin ideal certainly increases someone's risk. None um, of us are exposed to that, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like everyone who lives so in the country. Um, food insecurity is a significant risk factor for eating disorders. Um, dieting or, or just an energy imbalance. So kind of dieting, you know, purposefully changing someone's eating um, in the pursuit of weight loss, or maybe, maybe there was an illness or someone started a new sport and there's this energy and negative energy imbalance increases someone's risk of eating disorder, of developing an eating disorder. Um, and so all of these things kind of can kind of come together. And for some people, they experience several of those things and don't develop an eating disorder. And then someone else develops the same thing or experiences the same things and does develop an eating disorder. And, and a lot of times we're not, we don't know who that's going to be. Um, and so as a parent, I, I just think about, okay, what, what can I do in my home? That's protective. That doesn't mean my child's not going to have an eating disorder, but what's protective. Um, and a big one is, is, um, not promoting diets because we know dieting is a risk factor for eating disorder and promoting that all bodies are good bodies and, and not, um, not focusing on any kind of, um, um, weight loss or, or, you know, really thinking about the language I use or other people who come into contact with my family uses about weight. Since you have kids of various ages, um, you said 16 down to seven, right? Right. And I have a almost 13 year old between so knowing that that you've kind of been through elementary school middle school parts of high school are there any other areas besides social studies classroom that has kind of like stuck out for you as like where you're maybe surprised with what your child came home with like I'm just thinking back on like the way that food was discussed when I was in high school in you know sports specifically like I played a lot of sports like wow was that a problem or gym um, class right like, right like, and changing into pack. a uniform in front of everyone and well, having to look used to get weighed way. in health class too I'm not health class in gym too for like the health test like I remember being like I remember my mom taking me to the track because you had to like run a mile in a certain amount of time. And like, if you didn't, like you had to do it again until you like, you did it in under 15 minutes or like whatever it was. And like, I was terrified of it, but like, I'm sure there were other children in the class that didn't do it. Like, I'm just thinking back on how many problematic things were happening. So I'm curious in, you know, the generation that we're in today, where maybe some red flags have come up. Certainly helped class. I think that's a big one. In our curriculum, they're still showing um, super me <laughs> that needs to like be put away and never viewed again. Um, so certainly um, health class. And then the other one I was going to mention was um, athletics and the uniforms that are chosen and then comments made about the uniforms are prob problematic areas. And then the opposite of that is elementary school, kind of the comments that are made in the cafeteria about what the what's in the children's lunches, 
order they're eating their food. That's kind of a constant thing that comes up. Um, and so, and if, yeah, the other thing is how surprisingly it comes up at different, just out of school activities, you know, oh, you know, if we're having an event associated with, you know, Girl Scouts or, a, you know, something else. And they're, they're, that might be infused with, with some diet culture of what's allowed to be brought or what is brought. And then all the comments that are made around that to the children. And then I think there's just like this, like so much of it is subconscious that it it's programmed into us. And I'll use an example of my husband the other night and he's been on the pod. He knows what Jenna and I do. Like he's, he is very supportive of all this. So we have a nine, almost 10 month old and she was, she's, you know, starting her finger foods. And I, I was like cleaning her bottles or something. And he was sitting with her while she was eating. And he was like, Oh, you're such a good girl. You ate all of your veggies first. And I was like, what did you say? <laughs> like, And he was like, what just happened? And I was like, and I was like, I know you didn't mean this. And I know it, it, like, it doesn't matter at all. But like, what if she was older and more aware? And why is she a good girl? Because she ate her veggies first. Like she also has her peanut butter toast and her like these other things that she loves. And so it's like, obviously that isn't his intention at all, especially knowing all of the things that we do. But for him, he's like, oh, I've never even thought of it that way. And so thinking about how much unlearning we have to do when we don't even realize we're causing harm, you know, because I think there's that difference between someone knowing maybe that they're projecting or doing things versus just that subconscious that just kind of comes out. Yes. I also just want to add to that. Like, I think it's amazing that you're able to have that conversation with Luke because obviously like we know Luke, everybody on the podcast knows how amazing Luke is and how well-informed he is. But like the unlearning process is really long and like a windy road, right? And I think that that's like such an amazing call out because like parents raising kids, they want to raise intuitive eaters and we want to raise children without eating disorders, but we're unlearning at the same time. Like last night we went to my grandma's house to celebrate my mom's birthday. Um, and Noah has like a diarrhea bug right now. So like, that's like the caveat, you know, naturally, but you know, we get there and my grandma, she's almost 92 and she's like, can I give him an ice cream sandwich? I'm like, sure. Like, no problem. Doctor's like, take him off dairy because you know, diarrhea. And I'm like, cool. Give him the ice cream sandwich. <laughs> then he's enjoying it. He's loving it. And then she's like, Noah, your M&Ms are over here. So then he has his M&Ms and then my mom gets there and she has, they have two cupcakes together and the poor kid in his stomach, whatever. And my husband made a comment, like, we're really going to let him eat all these sweets. And I like, my head swiveled. I'm like, why the fuck not? (laughs) He was like, the diarrhea. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) But, you know, like, but those comments, like he hears that. And uh, yes, like, I think as they grow in these sponges, like it becomes so much more important, but at the same time, like allowing these memories and moments, like with his 92 year old great grandma, like what's more important true right it's true (laughs) I love these examples and I think like you said it's important to be able to have the conversation going off of what Anna said earlier you know chatting with your daughter of saying like what's going to be best for you in this situation with the food log at health class or like moving forward as Sienna grows older to be able to in that moment 
self-regulate and be like, oh, daddy, okay, can you explain what you meant there? And like have a teachable moment instead of mommy scolding daddy and shaving daddy him. On the spot. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> and so like, I think, I love how you said that though, Jenna, how like we're all on learning and learning how to parent at the same time and navigating this together. And we're all doing the best we can because I don't think any parent goes into parenting saying like, I can't wait to give my child an eating disorder. I've never heard anyone say that before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that we, um, that we don't have to be rigid about it. Right. Like I think when we all know how deadly eating disorders are, we know that and we don't want that to happen to people. And how can we, instead of, uh, you know, anytime something said, cut someone's head off <laughs> how instead can we figure out okay well, this is I always like to talk about when I talk about parenting we're in this for the long haul you know you know yes I would love it for my child never to hear a dieting message but they're going to it's the truth of it and so again just to highlight that how can this be a um a moment where they're learning and critically thinking about it as they grow older and then they get to make their own decisions right um about all of this Anna, are there any books that you recommend for parents? I get that question a lot. I know that there are some newer ones, but are there any books as like a, like we had Charlotte Markey, I hope I said that correctly, mm-hmm. on the podcast um, a little while back. I have her book over here too. I see you looking, Sam. Um, but she has the yeah, book for females and for males. Um, and then that new one that Sam is about to hold up now that I just recently yes. saw, How to Raise an Intuitive Eater. But are there any like interactive or books that you would recommend to parents to read with their children or, or for a child who's reading independently to kind of like read and learn on their own that you would feel confident or comfortable recommending. So and if you don't have any, that's fine too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when I think about like books for children, I think about more books that celebrate different foods, different food mm-hmm. cultures that learning where food comes from, so an, an old one is how to make vegetable soup. It's a, it's a pretty old book, but it's a neat kind of fun book you can read and then maybe make soup with your child if you want to. Um, but, but really focusing on that. Um, and then as the child grows older, um, again, finding books with the themes of, um, of either positive experiences with food or positive experiences with, with what bodies can do. So I'm not, I'm not big on a younger child or middle school child kind of learning about body image or learning, you know, this is what you have to learn. Cause I, cause um, I don't think their brains are quite developmentally ready for that, but just being immersed with these positive messages. Um, but I am really, really excited about Virginia Soul Smith's book coming out um, in April called Fat Talk. And it's about parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be incredible. And then I also wanted to highlight um, a the book by Signa Darpinian and Wendy Sterling and Shelley Agarwal. They, their book is about um, raising um, it's specifically for parents of teens. And I'm, I'm sorry. Give me a minute. <laughs> pull up the name of the book. Um, you're fine. Well, you're looking that up. I'm going to plug one too. Um, and Jenna, if you don't have this book, like Google it, you're going to want it right now. Bodies are cool by Tyler Fetter. Tyler is an amazing illustrator that I actually did a call with not too long ago because I have a child's book and my vision board of fine food freedom down the road. 
And once I read her book to Sienna, I was like, I can't imagine working with any other illustrator. And it's just, like you said, it's not telling a child, like, this is how you need to view bodies. It's just all bodies are cool bodies and it's showing disability and, you know, all the different like skin colors and sizes. And it's, it's just gorgeous. And Sienna loves it because of all of the color. Oh, I love that. That's Mm -hmm. such a good book. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, the book I was just mentioning is Raising Body Positive Teens. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a really, really great book um, and has some kind of really great take home, like, or like almost worksheet type things that at the end of each chapter, parents can talk through. Um, so those are, those are my kind of parenting books. Um, and besides that, I just, you know, yeah. Focusing on these positive messages with children. Um, I love that. And we have that episode that we did previously with, you know, your business partner, Elizabeth Davenport. So we can always access that for more of the verbiage. A question I want to ask too, as we, talk a lot about eating disorders today. Any Anytime I've had a conversation with a parent that has a child with an eating disorder, it is just, it's not, it's something you would wish on, you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. And so I know that the Alliance has free virtual support groups for parents, but I would love to hear if, if, if any parents are listening to this and their child has an active eating disorder what are some tips or tricks or messages or anything that you want them to hear? Gosh, what a great question. The first thing that came to my mind is, is, is the parent getting the support that they need. So is, if that's individual therapy, if that's, um, you know, making sure um, there's a, some way to carve out time for yourself. Is that family therapy? What, what that, it, you know, you're being asked as a parent who's taking care of a child with this uh, very serious illness, you're, you're a lot is being asked of you. And so really thinking through, you know, what support do I need as the parent in order to continue to support my child in this long journey? That's kind of the first thing I think of. And then the second thing I think of is, is um, to do all you can to get the eating disorder out of the house, to not, you know, so often I think the eating disorder is sneaky and wants, wants us to negotiate. And, and it's really easy to kind of, um, because of diet culture, like, Oh, well, that's okay to do the low fat, whatever, instead of this, or that's okay to do this or that. And really you're, you know, as the parent who wants your child to recover is to really, no matter what, you know, have no compromise with the eating disorder. And that really goes back to my first one, which is, okay, what support do I need in order to bounce these ideas off of people and really have people that have my back around this? Because you're going to be, even with a child with an eating disorder, you're going to get all those messages um, that we all get about um, from diet culture. Such wonderful, wonderful answers. And I think it's, Something I always like to shine light on as well is, you know, I think it's really hard to be the person supporting your child if you yourself are struggling with your relationship with food, because it's like, how are you supposed to support your child when you yourself have certain beliefs that you're challenging? And so I think this goes back to the overall theme of today's, you know, narrative of give yourself grace that if you're still unlearning while you're parenting and supporting you're doing the best you can with the resources that you have. And I really want to highlight, because I haven't said this explicitly yet, is that it's 
not your fault if your child has an eating disorder. And so we, you know, again, we can do all the things that we all want to do and your child still may develop an eating disorder or your child may, may have developed eating disorder. It's not your fault. And so it's figuring out, okay, what do I need? What does my child need to move forward with this? Um, I never want anyone to think that that's, that's what we're implying. Thank you so much for saying that. I think that's so important. And I'm so happy that we're kind of towards the end of the episode with that notion, because it's so important. And I feel terrible, actually, but like, we never had you really introduce yourself at the beginning of this episode, or like, share who you are, what you do, how you became the this eating disorder informed registered dietitian that you are today. So as we close out, can you share a little bit more about who you are, who you help, what you do, your um, your practice, and then where everyone can find you. So um, my name's Anna Lutz. I have a private practice here in Raleigh, North Carolina. We also have offices around the Triangle of North Carolina. It's in Durham and Chapel Hill. And our the work we do is mostly with individuals with eating disorders. But as I, as a younger dietitian, as I start doing this work, um, I really wanted to figure out how to get this, these messages out further than that um, because of this disconnect of I was trained as a dietitian to, to treat some people one way. And then if I was working with an eating disorder client, then suddenly all foods fit and listen to your body and all these messages. And so, you know, really thinking all those things are protective and that, that, um, that how can we be getting these messages out to everyone and with the hopes of eating disorder rates improving. And so along the way, I started Sunnyside Up Nutrition with Elizabeth Davenport, who you've interviewed. And so um, that we have a, um, uh, a blog that has re- easy recipes, um, diet-free parenting advice and resources. And we have a podcast to support parents in raising their children in this hopefully protective way um, so that parents can feel more supported. Um, so, you know, I, I do clinical work and supervised dietitians, and then I also do work with the Sunnyside Up Nutrition um, to get that that word out further than my than my office. Amazing. So for anyone listening, they can find you at sunnysideupnutrition.com or on Instagram at sunnysideupnutritionist. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all of your friends and faves, and don't forget to rate and review and let us know what you want to hear more of. The more we hear from you, the more that we can make these episodes exactly what you want. We would also love to connect with you on Instagram at what the actual fork pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for more fun.